Hello and welcome to Talking Events, the industry podcast brought to you by Event Industry News. Joining today's episode, I'm delighted to say that um, we've got Rob Nathan on the line. Rob is the Group Marketing Director at Media10. Media10 are um, an organisation, if you haven't heard of them, I don't know how or where you've been for the last few years. They've exploded onto the scene really as a young, vibrant events company, but with some really, really significant brands and event names under their belt. Grand Designs Live, The Ideal Home Show, UK Construction Week, to name just a, a, a small snippet of what it is that they look after. Rob, thank you very much for joining us today. Ah, pleasure to be here. Um, we're going to be talking quite specifically today about one of those particular shows within the Media 10 portfolio now, which is the Cake and Bake Show. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about the background and the, and the history of this particular brand that, that you guys look after, how it started and when it started. Well, the Cake and Bake Show was an acquisition from Media 10 a couple of years ago. We acquired it off of um, an event company, which was ostensibly a, a husband and wife team, who had noticed this explosion in in baking uh, in in a sector coinciding with really the the popularity of the Great British Bake Off on TV. So the show had been running for a few years, and, and when it was run by uh, a husband and wife team, then that was their baby, really, and it was 24-7 for them. But it got to a stage where they were looking to, to offload it. We thought it was a good, attractive proposition for our consumer portfolio. So we acquired it in 2014. And since then, we've looked at uh, reshaping it. We moved it from um, where it was in Earl's Court, and obviously mm-hmm. within Myers Court, we moved it over to Excel. And now we have it in in Manchester, where where it was, which we co-located with our ideal home show at Christmas in uh, Event City. So it's a significant brand for us. It was one that we'd kept a keen eye on. It's, it's an interesting sector, um, and it's great that this year we won some awards for it, and it's being recognised because it is quite fascinating. Probably. 20 years ago, then the idea of a, a big mass market consumer show for, 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 for bakers would probably be unheard of. But now it's never been more popular, like I say. Does it, does it help you? And, and we're, we're going to get on very much to talking about the marketing aspect of, of your role and, and, um, and how you go about that and some of the strategies that you deploy. But does it help fundamentally a show like this that the the whole subject of baking has essentially become quite cool. It's become quite chic to be a baker and to bake cakes, hasn't it? Does that help you then develop the show and create something that is perhaps a little bit more vibrant and modern that, uh, than a show like this could have been even 10 years ago? Yeah, absolutely. I think that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I think the perception of bakers is probably a very traditional mm-hmm. and, um, you know, sort of matriarchal, and uh, and rolling pins and yeah. and pinafores and since then, like you say, baking has become cool and it's about tapping into those brands at the right moment and everyone's looking to do it. So there'll be there's no coincidence that the Great Bake Off was was successful on TV in the same way that craft shows have been successful over the last two or three years and there's that explosion. 
of craft shows which coincided with more craft shows because it attracts um, a younger audience mm. uh, and not the typical audience, like you say, that was stereotypical maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. So we've we've looked at that. It's, it's now a matter of... Because ultimately, baking will be cool and it will be around. It's not going away. Not that it ever was away. But it's making sure that, that the consumer exhibition matches that same wave of, of popularity. And if popularity dies for any reason and a show gets taken off air or there's just a lack of interest or, or things happen in society that people fall out of love with certain genres, then you have to be prepared for that in the exhibition sector. And that's something maybe we could talk about later on mm-hmm. because we're quite, without some of our other brands, such as Grand Designs Live, yeah. people have said to us, what would happen if Grand Designs gets taken off air? Well, the show, the exhibition would continue because I think we've established it in its own right as a home show, an entity, rather than something just piggybacks on, on a TV brand. I think that's very important. Absolutely. When we get into the nitty-gritty of, of um, marketing the show, um, I'm keen to ask that even though you know that the subject matter is popular, um, a, a amongst a, a consumer audience, how do you then translate what you know is a popular subject into actually sourcing data that allows you to market the show successfully directly to the people that have an interest in that particular subject? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I, I think today it's maybe slightly easier because of the explosion in, in routes to market through social media. Mm-hmm. So that plays a, a huge part in, in our campaign for something like Cake and Bake because we've taken something that is that is ostensibly very social media friendly and therefore acquisition of data isn't just like 10 years ago was how many records have you got, how many email addresses or yeah. post addresses yeah. have you got. It's how many followers, how many likes, how many pins have you got? And you know, for Cake and Bake, we're now, I think, collectively over 350,000 eyes on on our show by those social channels, which means that you have an instant and rapid route to market. It's how you then take that and promote a show, which is the complexity and, and which is not, well, this is why the team that here at Media Ten, yeah. which we which we train them and skill them to 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 do those things, because everyone will say, "Oh, well, baking is massively popular," and you think, "Yeah, okay, baking is popular." How many people watch the Great British Bake Off? I don't know. The final Millions. watch is like twelve or thirteen million people. The biggest program on TV. Yeah. Therefore, people think, "Well, therefore, a baking show." that equals success because you've got that audience. Well, no, because how many people of that 13 million actively bake? Well, probably a fair chunk. You know, if it was 3 million or 4 million, wow, that's a big number to go after. How many bake and live in um, the target area of commutable distance to an exhibition? Okay, that comes down a bit. Even London, it's, it's a fair chunk. How many of those people want to come to an exhibition about baking? Well, then your number comes right down. Yeah. So even though the subject matter might be hugely popular, when you break down those circles and think, oh, how many people actually want to go to an exhibition about baking? And that's why 
we have to put the content in there and the fun and this element because otherwise you become a trade show. There's been baking trade shows for a while, and yeah. we just we don't want people just to come along and buy baking tins because they can do that at trade shows or they can do that online. Therefore, you have to have the great day out experience, and they can see bakers from the TV. They can get involved. They can. Uh, do stuff themselves. Plus, they buy obviously because that makes the world go round for the exhibitors, and 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 that's where you suddenly deconstruct all the elements and say, okay, we've got this successful um, cloud which is baking. How does that then filter down into making a successful exhibition? Um, and that's where all the components have to come together. And that's why the simplest thing is not saying, well, why is there an exhibition about? Uh, strictly come dancing or why isn't there an exhibition about X Factor sure, well because yeah. yes lots of people watch these programs it doesn't necessarily make an exhibition no it doesn't uh, what, what, what I was keen to ask you um, Rob is is that with a, with a consumer show I, I was on the, the Cake and Bake website um, prior to prior to this particular episode just, just to have a look around there's obviously a ticket price for people to, to gain entry uh, to the show yeah. it's a consumer yeah. show so th- does the fact that you are charging an entry fee as opposed to a b2b show that that you know most b2b shows historically are free to enter you know provided that you work within that industry um does, does that reduce the pressure slightly um in terms of having to source exhibitors to fund the event and does it also give you um the ability to, to perhaps be more selective with the types of companies that you are approaching to exhibit at an event like Cake and Bake Show? Um, I think the answer would probably be no. Uh, that price point is probably something that has just become an accustomed factor in consumer exhibitions mm-hmm. in the same way that paying to go to the theatre or paying to go to a theme park is, is a is a point of entry price because I think that the starting difference between us and a lot of trade shows is that the content within it separates us from online and separates us from from shopping malls. Absolutely, yeah. So that's why we believe there's a premium, but it doesn't take pressure off because it might it might make it more difficult. You still have to attract people along. So to attract people along and say to them, okay, you're going to pay £15 or £12 or whatever for a ticket, there's got to be compelling reasons. And those compelling reasons cost money. Yes. If it's just full of exhibitors, then they'd think, okay, it's a nice day out, but I could just buy this. I could just buy this on Amazon if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But what they can't get on Amazon is they can't you know, have a classroom with last year's Great British Bake Off winner and they can't see demonstrations and they can't touch and feel and they can't do all the stuff which makes face-to-face so brilliant. And that's where uh, I think there will ultimately come a time when the pricing model will change. And, and I use the example once recently that if you look at uh, something like the, the Evening Standard newspaper, yes, which was selling 50,000 copies and then they changed the business model and it went to, it now distributes 950,000 copies a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they took away the revenue model, the revenue stream from, from people buying the paper but then put a premium on 
on advertising. The actual reach promotion. that it now gives to the people within that paper, which is which is means huge. that means that you know, it's 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 transformed. But the one thing that's important with the Evening Standard is they didn't compromise the editorial quality or the quality within the paper. Yeah. So the paper looks the same as it did ten years ago in terms of that it does have a very strong editorial team and a very strong. Um, you know, ethos running through it, you know, in terms of commentary, but it's free and people pick it up and pick it up on in their numbers. So they've lost that one. So it's a bit like saying, okay, if we lost our paid for gate in an exhibition, but could we prop it up elsewhere? And I think that that's really interesting to the future because there will be events that will become free, mm-hmm. but will rely on different revenue streams. I think it's just a natural evolution of the exhibitions market. At the moment, we believe that we've got a fairly traditional exhibition with the Cake and Bake Show and you pay money to get in, but that gets you content that you couldn't get elsewhere. On the subject of the content then, and going back to the actual marketing of the event, both both the London uh, Cake and Bake Show and the Manchester one up at Event City take place later on in the year, so October and November respectively for London and Manchester. Um, how how early do you have the content secured so that you are then able to to use the content as an effective means to market to potential customers and visitors to the show? Um, it would for a show like this, it would probably be uh, around now. Around um, we're, we're sort of finalising now this week, getting our final timetables up, mm-hmm. uh, putting our exhibitor list up. It's still very early. For, for a show like this, it's still, it's, you know, something that's certainly for Manchester in late November or mid-November. Yeah. Um, looking out the window now, 30 degrees heat. <laughs> People aren't thinking about a show which is co-located with a Christmas show. And that's something which we, we that's where the team, and that's why I impress upon the team, that's very important, is being very analytical in terms of patterns of ticket buying, patterns of uh, web traffic and engagement. Because there'll be times like now when it's very hard. People aren't really thinking about indoor consumer events in the autumn. They're thinking about holidays and they're thinking about taking the kids out and, yes, and spending time outside. Yes. But now's a good time to get everything in place. And we won't sell huge amounts of ticket now. But if you wait too late then it all becomes a bit of a rush. And it's always good to get ahead of yourself. In some exhibitions, you know, I've spoken to people and they get their creative campaigns done prior to the show. acting, So they'll have their 2017 campaigns done for even before the 2016 show has happened. Yeah. Because they like to be that bit prepared. And it's great. You can have certain things prepared. You can have creative campaigns camp, uh, secured and you can say, well, we've got this talent lined up. We've signed them on a two-year deal. But ostensibly, you have to think about the consumer and the consumer's buying patterns and their when they're in the right frame of mind. And that all comes down to when do we start spending money? When do we start uh, trickling down the marketing messages to get buying tickets? Because like I say, you've got a very active social media audience for something like Cake and Bake. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't just want to engage with them the two months prior to the show, then you've lost them for 10 months. That's why it's very important. And it shouldn't be about, the messaging shouldn't be buy tickets, buy tickets, buy tickets, because people wouldn't gain it. So we have to keep our content fresh throughout the year with a largely non-ticket selling message. 
I was going to say, hold that thought for a second on the social Mm. media, because I'm I'm, I'm keen to look at that in a bit more detail. But you also mentioned something about monitoring um, web statistics, web traffic, looking at uh, at buying patterns and and, and traffic patterns. Um, I I went onto the website and the first thing that, that really pleased me to see, I have to say, when I went on the Cake and Bake Show website was that as soon as you go to the homepage, boom. Dates and venues are straight away on there, and I'm it, I'm constantly surprised by how many event websites and it, it, literally any type of event across the spectrum of how many websites I go on where I have to dig and dig to actually find out where and when the event is. Um, no, that, that's a really good point, and um, I do exactly the same. And I was on a website yesterday for for an event. I can't remember which one it was, and couldn't. I just wanted to know. I want to know the dates, and it wasn't obvious when the dates were, which mm. is which is you know number one error. I always equate it to, to if I'm on the if I'm on the London Underground, you're going up the escalators and you see adverts, and, and often a lot of exhibitions have traditionally advertised on there. We still do; it's a very powerful medium, yeah. expensive but powerful. And you've got those three seconds, and you want to tell people in that media, which you can't get too many things across what it is, when it is, where it is. And that's the same for web. That's the same for all your communications. And they're the first things that, that, that I tell the teams to look at. You've got to tell people, because we, when you've got brands that are often associated with, if they might be licenses for TV shows or, or films or, or other events, then if we had a Grand Designs live show that was very subtle and very classy, mm-hmm then people would think it was, well, what's this? Is this a DVD? Is this a new series of Grand Designs? Yeah. People, I think people underestimate the power of having a date and a location or something. It gives it that immediacy. It gives it, you know, they're the things that, that consumers will look out for. Online, uh, above the line, travelling around, you want to tell people when it is because that's what will resonate with them. So I'm pleased you saw it, but that's that's real fundamentals for me and for the, the Media 10 team is that, Telling people, you know, we're in a very cluttered market, and you've got to cut through very quickly. And if you, you know, I, I, I get frustrated when I see adverts for things where I can't quite work out. It's very artistic. Yeah, what and is I've it? Seen, yeah, and I've, I've seen advertising agencies come in to pitch for creative here. You know, 15 years ago when I started my career, and they'll come in with some really crazy stuff, and it'll be very, you know, esoteric. And you think, hang on, we're not big enough. We're not Coca-Cola, we're not Ford. We don't have that propensity. Idle Home Show is a big brand, but still, if you don't tell people where it is or what it is or when it is, then, then you're failing at the first hurdle. Absolutely. Well, well, again, just moving on the subject of the website itself and, and giving clear messages out, has the website changed significantly from last year to this year's um, show? Yeah, yeah, it has. We've completely revamped it. Um, it was something that we inherited really um, right. when we bought this in 2014 and last year we, we we kind of just followed through some of the creative campaigns and we felt this year we wanted to change and it was a lot stronger mm-hmm. and a lot more mature and very striking with some very bold colours and uh, one of the talented designers here at Media 10 has come up with this campaign uh, so it has moved on I, I felt that last year was perhaps a bit too a bit too pastely, a bit too, you know, and, and again, 
it's about perceptions and baking you know it's a cake and bake show it's not a cake show it's not about cake with a cherry on top which people often assume is what baking is baking is pies and pastries and uh, and can cover a whole load of things so therefore we need to make that subtle shift towards a more inclusive cake and bake offering that's not just cupcakes which i felt that last year's campaign successful as it was i felt that, that, that i wanted a slightly different direction uh, and i i would agree i i think i'm looking at the website as as we sit here recording this episode and you know i, I think it does all those things that um that, that, that you mentioned one thing it also does quite clearly is show argos as um uh, as a sponsor, uh, the Cake and Bake Show, in association with Argos, um, I'm keen to explore how that particular um, deal came about and, and what it's going to bring to the table in terms of reach for you as a marketing team and what it's going to allow the show to do from a development point of view. I think that it, it follows on from the, the points we made earlier in the conversation, that baking is very of the moment. And Argos stock uh, a hell of a lot of products in in this sector. Yes. They would like to... Uh, this audience, although we'd like to change it, it's still predominantly female. It's, the Cake and Bake Show is 90% female. Right. And so they want to, to attract this audience. They want to be allied with that and maybe their marketing objectives to, to, to reach this audience. So they'll, they'll be sponsoring it so they get the resonance with that brand and they'll be on site stocking products from from Argos. And it was, how did it come about? Well, it, our sponsorship team are, are very hungry and very proactive uh, and spoke to agencies who, who, last year we had an appliance company in Neth who were the headline sponsor. And Argos, it, it's a fortunate brand because there was a bit of a queue. There was we were in a fortunate position where, where brands want to ally themselves with us, which is great in this day and age. Absolutely, still getting, yeah, yeah. Getting companies who want to, to headline sponsor exhibitions because often they, they want to do proprietary events, which is a challenge again to our industry. Um, are there any? I'm looking at the portfolio of shows that are operated by Media Ten, and forgive me if this is a stupid question, and I should already know the answer to this. But uh, do do any of the shows align with each other by way of being co-located? Um, I know obviously UK Construction Week is is a different is a slightly different beast, and there's an awful lot of stuff mm-hmm. that happens there. But with stuff like Cake and Bake, is it aligned at all to something like Grand Designs and Ideal Home Show? And is there a crossover in your databases that that allows you to do that? Yeah, so the, the Cake and Bake Show in Manchester is co-located with the Idle Home Show at Christmas. Right. So the two shows take place uh, in the same location at the same time. And we offer visitors um, a complete crossover. So for us, that's an advantage because there are uh, synergies between... We felt that a show in, in a slightly smaller city like Manchester and London that shows traditionally up there might say you get 15,000 yeah. people for a cake and bake show 20,000 maybe now we last year we got just shy of 45,000 people but that's because there was free flow of traffic so we mm-hmm. might have had 20,000 for one and 25,000 for the other but we felt that anyone going to the cake and bake show would want to go into the idle home show at Christmas it's just a natural progression it's not 
jarringly different. It's not as if we're saying there's a show selling um, cakes and then we've got it next to our construction shed. It's fundamentally similar profiles of, of demographics. So we, we co-located those. Um, other, there's been examples of other companies looking to do that. On the trade side, it, it's it's slightly easier. And if you've got, sure. like I say, with Construction Week, then that makes perfect sense to have a build show allowed with a timber show with a services show. So that, that, that makes sense. It's happened with other shows where they thought, okay, we're going to have a, a show within a show. To do that, they have to have their own identity. They have to be marketed separately. They can't just be within it. Then the show, then what happens is that the smaller show, which is within it, I don't want to give specific names of examples. It's not, it's not right of me to do so. But often what happens is that the bigger show just eats up the smaller show, which becomes a section of six stands within it. It's not, it, it doesn't do it justice. Absolutely, so the Cake and Bake yeah. show is marketed under its own right. It has its own entrance. It has its own identity, its own feel. And then there will come a point where there will be an archway between the two. And if we felt that we wanted to block that archway, then those visitors have paid that money to get into the Cake and Bake show. We're offering them, we're offering them added value Absolutely, by going yeah. into something else. So, yeah, that, that's one that, that, that we do successfully. And I think that we would... Um, we would look at others. It just it just makes sense. Again, it's offering visitors value for money. When when it comes to managing um, the marketing across such a, a broad range and, and a vast portfolio of shows, now that you've got, um, how difficult a task is it? Um, how how big is the team there? And, and on a day to day level, what are the things that routinely the marketing team at someone like Media Tenant are doing? And what are you looking out for amongst your staff, both in terms of um, objectives and targets, but also in terms of their attitude and, and their approach to what they're doing? Yeah, well, it, it, how easy is it? It's, yeah, I've got. Got plenty of holiday to take still this year. It's um, uh, it's it's brilliant. It's it's infectious. When when you know, starting here with a marketing team of one uh, of myself, and now there's twenty five or so, plus right. some others in in uh, China and, and South Africa. So it's a big team now, and it's now become split so into B two B and B two C. Yep. And then siloed into teams. And in answer to your question, I'm looking for I'm looking for people who aren't just paint by numbers marketeers. I want people to have that autonomy to go and develop ideas and progress as successful marketing assistants, execs, managers, senior managers, sure, whatever. And and I I've got. A, Media 10, we've got a fantastic team here. We've got a brilliant team of, of, of marketers who, who many have been here a long time. I think it's because they enjoy, they have the freedom to do whatever. We've, you know, we, we work hard and we set really high standards of ourselves and, and, and our shows have been successful because we have to get that optimal audience to our event. On a day to day basis, then, they're, I'd like to think they're constantly challenging themselves. They have to go through the plans and they have to get everything in order, be it media plans or, or, or setting up reg, 
deals or, or, or doing media partnerships. But ostensibly, I'm always looking at them to try and find where's that next, where's that next new idea, where's that next sort of nugget of, uh, of you know, the, spark. the marketing prowess that is going to elevate them. And, and that's what I want. And often I think you find in companies that they don't have that. They don't allow people to have that autonomy. And that's very much the ethos here at Media 10. We want people to, to develop. We want them, and I'm not saying it's like, you know, schools out here, but at the same time, we want them to enjoy, to enjoy it. So there, there's, every show has pressures and every show has targets and we want to surpass our targets all the time, but we need the right teams in place. And like I say, of the 25 or so that are here, we've got the majority are exceptional at what they do. It's it's fascinating. Um, uh, if people want to to find out more about any any of any of the shows and, and anything about the company, um, head over to, head over to the Media Ten website, and you'll find plenty of information about um, all the different shows um, and all the different brands that the company's now now operating. Um, Rob, we we should thank you for your time today and giving us a bit of an insight into specifically the Cake and Bake Show, but also in, in into the wider aspects. And as you as you talked about there, um, modern marketing can sometimes be guilty of painting by numbers, as you point out. And when you look historically at the great marketeers who, who founded what we now know as the advertising, the marketing, the PR industry, these were people with no qualifications in marketing and no degrees in public relations. These were creative people with creative minds who, who sought to, to achieve things with, with new ideas and, and innovation. So um, we should never perhaps lose sight of that as a, as a particular subject. Um, Rob Nathan, Group Marketing Director for... Media 10, thank you very much for joining the Talking Events podcast today. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. And I'll just finally say that uh, anyone who uh, thinks that they've got the attributes to to join the team like Media 10 and work on that, then I'm sure that go via the website and, and find me and drop me a line because we're always the door's always open to, to recruit new people. Fabulous. Rob, on that point, we're going to wrap up today's episode. Thank you very much for listening to Talking Events. My name's James Dixon. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and also listen to the podcast via eventindustrynews.co.uk. Mm-hmm.